All right, so we'll say good morning. It is wonderful to be back with all of you. A tremendous Yashukat Rabbi Kalman Akiva, Rabbi Richter, for giving the shir over the last couple of days. A great Zuchos Baruch Hashem to be back here with all of you in Meseches Ksuvis. So let's let's get right into it. We begin by thanking our sponsors, our Talmud Torah sponsors, Shmundi and Liba Dinovitz, for dedicating all the Shurman Drashos in the memory and the Zuchos for the Aliyah of the Neshama of Shmundi's father, of Paris Avram, Ben Rabbi Yamin Moshe. We thank our Week of Learning sponsors, Ira Miriam Grossman, in commemoration of the airside of Ira's beloved mother, Freda Grossman, Freda Bas Shmuel, Zechron Levrach, we open out of the merit of our Talmud Torah, the Neshama Slahav and Aliyah, and the families of Nechama. And we'll say with that, let us, let us begin. Okay, so we'll say today's daf is Chof, 20, and we are picking up a Merit Hashem on Yud Tes Amad Beis, at the Tanarabonon, two, four, six, eight, ten lines up from the bottom. Tanarabonon, I'll say so again, a really incredible sugya ahead of us today. Some fascinating gemaras having to do again halacha lamaisa with kiyam shtaras, right? How we go ahead and uphold certain documents or how we go ahead and validate certain signatures as well. Tanarabonon, shnayin chasum na shtar. Here's the case. You have two individuals who signed on a shtar, umesu. So I'll say, we'll call them Reuven and Shimon. So we have Reuven and Shimon signing on a document. Now I'll say, now we have to verify this document. Now in this particular situation, something interesting occurred, which is Reuven and Shimon are dead. So they're dead. So obviously, again, they cannot go ahead and attest to their own signatures if they're no longer in Olam Hazar. So what happens? So we'll say, now what happens? So Levi and Yehuda show up. And Levi and Yehuda say, we know that the signatures here, in fact, do belong to Reuven and Shimon. Those are Reuven and Shimon signatures. But, but, aval, anusim hayu, kitanim hayu, psule edus hayu. So now what happens? Levi and Yehuda are coming along and attesting to the fact that this is indeed Reuven and Shimon signatures. But what they are doing is they're qualifying those signatures. And what are they saying? The signatures are, in fact, invalid. Why are they invalid? Because Reuven and Shimon were coerced, or Reuven and Shimon ultimately were Kitanim, they were children, or they were Psule Eidos, they were, they, were really, they were not really permitted to give testimony in this particular situation. So what's Talach in this situation? Ultimately, Reuven and Shimon are believed. Now again, sorry, not Reuven and Shimon, Levi and Yehuda are believed. Why are Levi and Yehuda believed? So say, this is a continuation of the same principle that's been guiding us over the last couple of days, which is Hapesha Asar, that at the end of the day, if you are the source of information that we would not have known without you, then the same way we believe you to convey that information, we also believe you to qualify that information. So since at the end of the day, Shimon and, sorry, Levi and Yehuda are coming along and telling us, yeah, that's Reuven and Shimon's signatures. There are their signatures, and we would not have known that those were valid signatures without Levi and Yehuda, Therefore, again, because Levi and Yehuda are the source of information, Levi and Yehuda are believed to qualify the information as well, which the irony, of course, is in their effort to go ahead and validate the signatures of Reuven and Shimon, what do they effectively do? What do they effectively do? They invalidate the document. They invalidate the document because they say, yeah, the signatures belong to Reuven and Shimon, but Lamaisa, again, whatever the situation was, they were coerced, they were kitanim, they were psulim, whatever the, whatever the situation was. However, Part two, 
Oshek sab yadim yotzim yakom achem ishtarshek harlov irer v'hochsak bebeizdin ein elun ne'emanim. However, we'll say this is a simple qualification. If we know that these are Reuven and Shimon signatures from another source, let's say even before leaving Yehuda showed up, we know that halacha lemaisa those are Reuven and Shimon signatures. That's what it means. Sab yadim yotzim yakom acher. Mishtar shekara alav irer. Now, we'll say we're going to talk about this part in the Brisa because it's interesting that the Brisa feels the need to say this. Let's say we have another document. There was another document, and someone contested this document. That's what it means when it says shekara alav irer. It was a document that came before Beisdin because, let's say again, whatever the borrower said, it's a forged document. So the document was challenged in Beisdin. The document had Reuven and Shimon's signatures on it. And the base didn't upheld the document. And by upholding the document means they upheld Ruve and Shimon's signatures, which I will say is another way of saying we already know that it's Ruven and Shimon's signatures from another source other than Levi and Yehuda. In that case, ain't Eluna Emonim. Levi and Yehuda are not believed to go ahead and say that Ruven and Shimon's signatures were invalid. So I will say, a very simple case. It, it's actually, we've seen this a number of times already. One more time outside. Ruv, right, we have a document. We have a document. A lent B money, right? B is claiming the document is fraudulent. The witness is never signed, right? Those witnesses are made up. They bring the shtar to Beisdin, right? The document has the signatures of witnesses, Ruvain and Shimon. Ruvain and Shimon. Levi and Yehuda come along and say, you know what? We know, we testify, those are Ruvain and Shimon's signatures. But we just want to tell you, we also know this transaction. We also know this transaction. And Reuben and Shimon were minors. They were compelled, whatever the situation was. So ultimately, in that case, Levi and Yehuda are believed. Because since they are the source of the information, therefore they are believed to qualify the information. Part two of that case is, if we happen to know that these are Reuben and Shimon's signatures already. How do we know? How do we know? Because we had another document that was also contested, that was vetted in Beisdin. And now we recognize the signatures, the same signatures. So we know the signatures in the document in front of us are from Ruvain and Shimon. So we have essentially independent corroboration of the validity of the signatures. When Levi and Yehuda come along and say, ah, you know, Ruvain and Shimon, they were coerced, they were young, we don't believe them in that case, which makes sense. Because Lamaisa, we've validated the signatures without their testimony. Therefore, there is no Pesha Asra Pesha Hitir. Incredible. Says the Gemara, So does that mean then that we would treat this like a regular star? So I will say, let, let's, let's play this out a little bit. So now we, we would just treat it like a, look at Rashi for just a moment. Um, actually, no, not yet, sorry. We would just correct, I'm sorry, actually, Rashi's Babina Bay, Bitmiya. We would just collect from this star just like a regular star. So the Gemara says, How could that be? say, is this not a classic case of two witnesses against two witnesses? Let's, let's play this out for just a moment over here. A lent B money. Too many names over here, right? A lent B money, right? So now what happens? So now B wants to claim, I don't know, he paid back the star, it was a fraudulent document, whatever it was. But it doesn't have to be a loan. It could also be a real estate transaction. You can fill in whatever transaction you want. So now what happens? So now, so now A, the creditor, produces a document. The document has the signatures of Reuven and Shimon in it. Okay, so now, fine, now the document is being challenged. So step one in Kiem Shtaras, in upholding a document, certifying a document, is to make sure you have valid witnesses. Problem is, Reuven and Shimon are dead. So what happens? Levi and Yehuda come along, Levi and Yehuda come along, and they testify, yeah, that's Reuven and Shimon's signatures, but remember, what do they do? 
they give it a qualification. What's the qualification? What's the qualification? It's their signatures, but the whole transaction is void. Why? Because Reuben and Shimon were minors. Reuben and Shimon were coerced by the creditor, whatever the situation is. So I will say, so what's interesting, what's interesting about this is as follows. The Gemara says, here's the problem. Here's the problem. Is this not a classic case of treyu trey? In other words, I will say, what we have over here is you have two witnesses. You have two witnesses who say that the star is good. Who are the two witnesses that say the star is good? Who? who? Reuven and Shimon, who are the signatures. They say the star is good. I believe in Yehuda who are saying the star is not good. So I will say, this is a classic case of trey utrey. Now, whenever you have two witnesses against two witnesses, at the end of the deal, at the end of the day, what do you normally do? Maintain status quo. That's normally what happens. So the Gemara says, so both say, see, here's, here's what's interesting. What the question is really, I think we're going to have to move on. What the question is really, what the question is really focused on, it's, just, it's such a fascinating case. The mechanics are fascinating. What's just fascinating about this particular situation, I will say, especially in the second case, is essentially where Reuven and Shimon, the validity of their signatures is already known from elsewhere. It seems to me that we totally discount, we totally discount the testimony of Levi and Yehuda that the signatures are invalid. And the Gemara is essentially questioned, which means that we would allow you to go ahead and collect with the star. So essentially the Gemara is saying, how can you allow someone to collect with the star? Don't we have two witnesses against two witnesses? I've got Reuven and Shimon signed on it, but I've got Levi and Yehuda testifying that at the end of the day, the signatures are not good. So how can you collect with such a star? So the Gemara will say a couple of approaches. This is fascinating. There are two different ways in which you can go ahead and invalidate Eidos. One is Hachosha, one is Hazama. What's the Chelek? Let's work backwards. They both say Hazama is the class. What's Hazama? What's Hazama? Reuben and Shimon show up and say, we, we saw A kill B. We saw A kill B. Levi and Yudas show up and they say, Reuben and Shimon, impossible, impossible. You could not have seen that event. Why? Imanu Hayisim, you are with us. So I will say, that's called Hazama, where the second set of witnesses tell the first set of witnesses, you're lying, you could not have seen what you claimed to have, which could not have seen what you have claimed to have seen, because you were with us at the time of the event. Now I will say, remember in Hazama, the second set of witnesses are not weighing in as to whether the event occurred or not. Maybe A did kill B, that's quite possible. Lamaisa, what they're saying is what? Right, right, Ruben and Shimon, there's no way you guys saw that. There's no way you guys saw that because you were with us. That's Hazama. Hachosha is good old contradiction, right? Two witnesses say A, and two witnesses say the opposite of A, right? So, so now I literally just have two witnesses against two witnesses, and they're just duking it out a little bit over here. So listen to this. Rav Shesha says, Zosu Maris, Hachosha Tchilas Hazamahu. So this is actually very interesting. Rav Shesha says that by definition, in built into Hazama, built into Hazama, Idim Zomamin, is Hachosha. Which makes sense, in other words, within every Edim Zumamin, there is an inherent contradiction of testimony. So the beginning of any Hazama is Hachasha, which is another way of saying these two processes are linked. Top of Chav, Ukishem Shein Mazimen Asa'edim Ela Bithnehem, Kach in Machishin Asa'edim Ela Bithnehem. Oh, I will say, now once I understand that the processes of Hachasha and Hazama are linked, because if you think about it, by definition, in order to make Edim, Edim, Zomamin, what you have to say is what? What you have to say is what? That what you're saying is not true. That's Hachasha. That's Hachasha. So therefore, Rav Shesha says, the same way that you cannot make 
Edim, Edim Zomamin, unless you are in their presence, so too you cannot do Hachosha unless you are in the presence of the original witnesses as well. Now I both say, if you look at Rashi for just a moment, Rashi says, Rashi quotes over here, we're not going to get into it now, but Rashi explains how you know that you can't make Edim, Edim Zomamin unless you are in the presence of the first set of witnesses. In other words, there's no such thing as making Ed, people Edim Zomamin in absentia. Right? And the logic behind that is because since the whole chap of Edim Zomin is reciprocal punishment, everything has to be done in front of the original contradicted set of witnesses. So what, look what Rav Sheshis says here. This is incredible. Rav Sheshis just linked the processes of Hachasha and Hazama, and he said the same way that you could only do Hazama in the presence of the contradicted witnesses. Yeah, in the presence of the contradicted witnesses, you could only do Hachasha in the presence of the contradicted witnesses. And I both say, let's apply this. How does this help us in our case? This is why, remember again, I both say in our case, right? everything is centered on the, the signatures of Reuven and Shimon. What's Reuven and Shimon's current state? Dead, right? So therefore, again, there is no bifnehem. There's no bifnehem. Because there's no bifnehem, therefore there's no hachasha. Because there's no hachasha, there's no contradicting dead witnesses, Therefore, what? Halacha in case number two, where we have Reuven and Shimon's signatures validated from an external source. When Levi and Yehuda show up and they start to say, no, but the signatures were not good, they were compelled, they were minors, we simply don't listen. We simply don't listen. Rosh says, because of a technicality, because hachasha, contradicting testimony, could only happen in the presence of the witnesses whom you are contradicting. Fascinating technicality. So the Gemara goes weiter. The Gemara, so Nachman says that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense. So, we'll say, so just to be clear, what we're just trying to figure out is in case number two, where Reuven and Shimon's signatures have been upheld through an external source, right? So we, so therefore, again, we've had, we've, we, we've validated their signatures. Now remember again, Levi and Yehuda are showing up and saying, yeah, it's Reuven and Shimon's signatures, but, but, and it's a big but, what they're saying is, but, they were compelled, they were minors, they were coerced, whatever, so therefore the shtar is not good. The Bryce has said, we don't listen, we don't listen to Levi and Yehuda. So the Gemara is bothered by that, because how can you not listen to Levi and Yehuda? You have two witnesses against two witnesses. So again, answer one of Sheshes, no, because Levi and Yehuda, in order to contradict witnesses, you have to do so in their presence. And since Reuven and Shimon are dead, therefore, by definition, the ability to contradict their testimony is no longer there. Incredible. Next, Rav Nachman questions this. Rav Nachman doesn't make any sense. If Reuven and Shimon were alive, and Levi and Yehuda came, and wanted to contradict their testimony, that would work. That would work. And therefore, we would not listen to Ruvain and Shimon when there was another set of witnesses coming along and contradicting them. Now Ruvain and Shimon are dead. And we could say, There's always an interesting possibility, which is what? Imagine Ruvain and Shimon were alive. Imagine Ruvain and Shimon were alive. And now Levi and Yehuda showed up and they said, Ruvain and Shimon, it's your signatures, but come on. You guys were coerced or you were minors. There's always the possibility that what? That what? That Reuven and Shimon would? Admit it. Admit it. Rav Nachman says there's always that possibility. So the Gemara says, So Rav Nachman argues on Rav Shesh. So Rav Nachman says, it can't be that there's no such thing as hachasha outside of the presence of the original witnesses. 
There has to be the ability to contradict testimony at any point and at any time. Rav Nachman has a different resolution. Uki, here we go. Uki trey lahade trey v'uki mamona becheskas mare. So what Rav Nachman says, the truth is, it's very simple. When you have a case like this, Rav Osai, and again, in this particular case, where what's happening? Reuven and Shimon signed on a document. Reuven and Shimon died. So now what happens? We validate Reuven and Shimon's signature from an alternate source, but let Levi and Yehuda show up in Beis and Levi Yehuda say it's true that it's Reuven and Shimon's signatures, but what? But what? They were minors. They were coerced, essentially invalidating the get. So Rav Nachman says like this. On one hand, I have Reuven and Shimon's signatures in the document. Rav say, is that meaningful? Is that meaningful? Absolutely. Because signatures in the document effectively are like what? Like what? They're Eidos. They're Eidos. But on the other hand, what else do I have? What else do I have? I've got Levi and Yehuda standing in front of me in Beis and telling me that Reuven and Shimon were coerced or were minors. That's also meaningful. That's also meaningful. So if Rav Nachman says there's only one way to resolve this. Uki trey lahade trey. What do you have? You have two against two. They both say, what do you do when you have two against two? Keep the money. And by the way, we're using money, but it would apply to property or anything else. Keep the money or the property in where, wherever it is presently situated. So whoever has the money, whoever has the property, essentially, when you have contradiction within testimony, maintain status quo. Maintain status quo. So the Gemara says, this is very interesting because this is like the case of the property of Barshatya. They will say, what happened with Barshatya? Fascinating. The Barshatya, Zavin Nechasi, Barshatya went ahead and bought property. Okay? Bought property. So what happened? So two witnesses showed up and they say, Omri, Kishu Shotez Zavin. When he was crazy, apparently Barshatya, Barshatya had episodes of insanity. He wasn't, he wasn't a well individual. He had moments where he was lucid. He had moments where he was lucid and moments where he, he lacked proper capacity. Most of us are like that, right? I'm saying, so, okay, so he, he had moments where he just didn't have capacity. So the Gemara says, so what, what happened over here? So Barshatya bought a piece of property. Now witnesses showed up. Witnesses showed up and said, by the way, the sale is invalid. Why is it selling that? Because we happen to know that at the time that he went ahead and bought the property, it was one of his periods of shtus one of his periods of insanity, and therefore he lacked capacity, no transaction. So the Another two witnesses came along and said, no, he was perfectly fine. He bought it, he bought it and he was perfectly fine. I will say, by the way, also an incredible Musa skill, how people could perceive the same event, the same event, and yet see two dramatically different things within the same event. People can know the same person, and some people could say, I, a tzaddik, and someone else could say, I, a shota. Right? I will say it's so important because when what we see in life, whether when you see people or when you see situations, just understand never are you seeing objective truth. What you're seeing is your version of events, your version of MS, your, your version of truth, but your version of truth comes through your life filter which is very much impacted and affected by your life events, by your dispositions, by your proclivities. So, so important to always know that what we see in other people and what we see in life is never objective MS. 
It's our subjective MS. So you see this machlokis over here. By, right, two witnesses saying Barshati was completely lucid. Two witnesses saying Barshati was out of his mind. So I'll say, so what happened? What do we do? What do you do over here? We'll say, so what do I have? I've got two witnesses saying Barshati was lucid, valid transaction, right? Valid, valid purchase. Two witnesses saying that Barshati was out of his mind, invalid transaction. So I've got two against two. What do you do? Maintain status quo. What was status quo in this case? Barshatya was already in possession of the real estate. He was already in possession of it. So therefore, I've got two witnesses against two witnesses. Keep the money where it is, and that's it. Which I will say, by the way, this is one of the classic ways in which we resolve monetary dispute where no one has an upper hand claim. Right? I've got to, everybody's bringing their witnesses. Two witnesses against two witnesses. Halacha often just says, Maintain status quo. Uki mamona becheskas mare. Leave the money where it presently is. So the Gemara says, "Velo amran." Now it's interesting. The Gemara qualifies the Barshatya case. Velo amran el deis lechazaka davasa davase. Now listen, this is incredible. Actually, there's a big qualification here. The Gemara says we only say that we would keep the property with Barshatya when, when halacha lemaisa, when halacha lemaisa, this property was actually belonged to Barshatya's father. They are talking about property over here that Barshatya inherited. So look at Rashi. But I will say, if we're actually talking about over here a piece of property, that's what? That Barshatya went ahead and bought himself, we have a problem. Why? Because Aminon Kishu Shota Zabon, Ukushu Shota Zavin. It's just as possible that he was a shota when he bought it and a shota when he sold it. So as I was saying, this is just an interesting aside. In the Barshatya case, the only way that Chazaka works is if we know with absolute definity that this property belonged to Barshatya. Now, the only way to know with absolute certainty that this property belonged to Barshatya is how? is if it's inherited property. Because assuming that his father was a normal guy, right, a healthy guy, a wicked guy, so then Lamaisa Barshati inherited the property, which means we know with absolute certainty that at some point in time, the property was absolutely his. But interestingly enough, if we're actually talking about property that was bought and sold by Barshatya, that's a much bigger issue. Because there we could say the same way that he, maybe when he sold it, he was a shota. When he bought it, he was a shota. And therefore, maybe there's absolutely no ownership on part of Barshatya at all. So if you look at Rashi, he says, If we're talking about property that Barshatya himself bought and didn't inherit, and didn't inherit. And at the end of the day, I will say, really quite fascinating. There will be no chazaka. Ultimately, again, there will be no chazaka. So going to be mevatel's mechira. So I will say, we don't have to get into the specifics of Barshat, But our point over here is what? Our point over here is that whenever you have tray against tray, two witnesses against two witnesses, what's our mechanism of resolution? Leave money wherever it is. And this is how Rav Nachman would be understanding the second case of our Braisa today as well. I'm Rabbi Avau. Rabbi Avau gives another resolution. He says, So I'll say, well, this isn't really a resolution, it's an approach. He says like this. So Rabbi Avau goes back. So remember again, Rav Sheesh has wanted to say that the same way that you can't do Hazama when it's not in the presence of the first set of witnesses. In other words, a second set of witnesses can't make the first set of witnesses into Edim Zomamin, so too you can't do Hachosha, 
right. that you can't contradict witnesses if you're not in their presence as well. Rabbi Abahu says, Wow. Rabbi Abahu disagrees. He holds that Allah it's true. Hazama cannot be accomplished if you're not in the presence of the first set of witnesses. So in other words, if Reuven and Shimon give testimony that A killed B, and Alev and Yehuda want to show up and they want to say, Reuven and Shimon, impossible, you're lying. You cannot have seen that event because Imanu Hayisen, you were with us on that particular day or that particular time. In order for Shimon and Levi to make, sorry, in order for in order for Levi and Yehuda to make Reuben and Shimon Edim Zomamin, so ultimately again, Levi and Yehuda have to do this in the presence of Reuben and Shimon. Okay. However, however, Umachishin as Edim Shalobifnehem. But Achasha, in other words, contradicting testimony can be done even not in the presence of the original witnesses. So the Gemara says, Vazama Shalobifnehem, Nihid Hazama Lohavi, Achashim Yahavia. A very interesting qualification. So I will say, even if, so what happens if second set of witnesses do hazama, not in the presence of the first, while it's true that it's not hazama, what is it? It's hachasha. It's still contradicting. It's still contradicting. And I will say, remember again, look at Rashi. So I will say, this is a really interesting idea over here. So Rabbi Avo comes along and is saying that contradicting, second set of witnesses contradicting a first set of witnesses can be done even if the second are not in the presence of the first. That works. Amar Oh, so we'll say now we'll go back to the Brisa for just a moment. So, so, so according to the Brisa. So we'll say this is just a quote from the Brisa. So what did the Brisa say? So let's go back for just a moment. Right, we have right. We have now a document. We have now a document that A lent B money. The document is being contested. The document comes to Beisdin. Right, the Adam signed on that document are Ruvain and Shimon. So in case number two on the Brice, what we say is like this: If there was another do- a separate another document that came before Beisdin that was also contested, and Ruvain and Shimon signed on that document as well, and we validated their signatures on the right from that first document. The validation from the first document could serve to certify what? The document in front of us right now. Document in front of us right now. I will say, by the way, the second part of the Bible says, therefore, when Levi and Yehuda show up and say that Reuven and Shimon signed it, but they were minors, they were coerced, we don't listen to them under those circumstances because we already have independent corroboration about the validity of Reuven and Shimon's signatures. Good. The Gemara makes an interesting diuk. The Gemara says, I don't understand. I don't understand. The Gemara says, Kara love ir or in, lo kara love ir or lo. Why does the Brises say that Reuven and Shimon's signatures were certified from a contested document, as opposed to just saying we recognize Reuven and Shimon's signatures from another document? It sounds like certification of Reuven and Shimon's signatures can only be done based on a document that was contested and based in. Why is that? Misayel Rabbi Asi. Here we go. Rabbi Asi is very interesting. Rabbi Asi is of the opinion that the only way to go ahead and uphold signatures of witnesses from one document to another, in other words, I just want to compare signatures, 
is if it was a document that was contested in Beis. Look at Rashi. This is fascinating. See, up until Rabbi Asi came into my life, I would have assumed as follows. How could I go ahead and certify signatures on a document? Based on, I will say, based on any given day, on any given day, goes ahead and sees multiple shtaras. And I will say, it's also possible that you have the same witnesses signing on a number of different shtaras, right? Either because maybe sometimes Bezdin had w- on-staff witnesses, right? Which is about transaction happens in front of Bezdin. Or maybe there's just two guys who you know are always around, right? Reuben and Shimon, they're always around. So they're available to go ahead and witness stuff. So before Abiyasi came along, I would have thought to myself, the truth is the way I go ahead and validate signatures is like this. I have Reuben and Shimon signed on document A, right? But I also know that what? They've signed other documents. Let me just produce another document, right? Based on the, just compare. As long as the signature is signed up, we're good to go. We're good to go. Rabbi Asi says no. Rabbi Asi says no. The only way to validate, to validate signatures of witnesses from previously existing documents is if those previously existing documents were, were um, contested. Were contested and then validated. Because I will say, if they weren't contested and then validated and based and were concerned, that the original source document may be forged as well. In other words, if a document was never contested and never validated, how do you really know it's accurate? Maybe the document that you're comparing the, maybe the original document that you're comparing the current document to was Mizuya, was forged. So therefore, we ask you, the only way to know that the source document that you are comparing the present document to is in fact valid, is if it was contested and ultimately upheld in court. That's Rabbi Asi's opinion. Amin Ardoi, the Nardoim say, come along. They're not arguing, they're just giving an alternate form of, of validating as well. You could also go ahead and validate signatures from two other documents, right? I will say, for example, if you find Reuven and Shimon having signed on two other ksuvas. In other words, so what the Naradim are bringing in is, even if you don't have a contested document, but what? You find their signatures on multiple other documents. If you have two, two, other, form, two other forms of proof, right? Two ksuvas, or mishte sados, or two other real estate transactions. But with those real estate transactions, definitely the kind of real estate transactions that the owner has utilized the property for three years in an uncontested fashion. In other words, so then I'm just adding in, if you could produce two other documents to certify Ruben and Shimon signatures, that works as well. This is very interesting. However, this only works when the additional documents that are going to be used to certify Ruben and Shimon signatures come from someone other than the present document holder. Others will say, just to imagine the situation, right? Ruben lent, Ruben lent Shimon $1,000. Shimon's claiming it never happened. Okay, so Ruben says, here's the star, here's the star. And Ruben, right? I'm sorry, I keep using the wrong names, right? A lent B $1,000. So what happens? So B is claiming never happened. So A produces the document. And I said, look, Ruben and Shimon are signed on it. So that's proof. Now what, is, what else does A do? A also produces three other documents that Reuven and Shimon signed on. 
No, 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 I don't think that works, right? In other words, if we're, if we're going to go ahead and validate Reuven and Shimon's signatures from, from other documents, the other documents have to be sourced elsewhere. They cannot come from the person who's, who's holding the present document. So Mark says, why not? Why is it that if A produces the two other ksuvas, right, the two other real estate transactions, that that's not going to be good enough to go ahead and uphold Reuven and Shimon's signatures? Very simple, Siddhimara says, Dilma Zuyef Mizayef. What are we concerned about saying? Because maybe A got a hold of these other documents, and what happens? He studied, right? He studied how to go ahead and forge Reuven and Shimon's signatures, and that's what he's done on this current, on this current loan document. To which the Gemara says, one second, Mitachas Yede Acher Nami, Dilma Azul Vachaza Asav Zayef. Maybe it will say, so I don't understand. Maybe A, maybe even if A doesn't have the documents, maybe A saw the documents somewhere else. He studied the signatures. He studied the signatures. And maybe he still forged Reuven and Shimon's signatures on the present document, even though he's not in a position of those original documents. To which the Gemara says, Kuli Hailo We'll say, we assume that people could do forgeries. But we'll say, in order to do a forgery, what do you need? What do you really need? You need time with the source documents, right? In other words, you need to, in other words, so if Ruvain is the one producing the two other ksubas, the two other real estate transactions, and now he has a loan document that also have Ruvain and Shimon on it, then I have a concern that maybe he studied the other signatures very closely and forged this current document. But I will say, to get a quick glimpse of signatures on someone else's document and then be able to replicate that on your document, that we don't assume people could do. Tan Rabbanon. I will say another fascinating case. Co- listen to this. This has always bothered me. Say, you know, sometimes you witness an event. You witness an event. Right? Let's say, right? And then what happens? And then, then what happens? Years go by. You don't remember the event. Now, the truth is, many times this happens. Like if you get a keyboard or something at a chasana, someone reminds you, oh, it was so special to have you as the aid kiddushin under my chuppah. Like, yeah, it was, it was very special. Just remind me, remind me your name once more, right? Say, so, 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 Lemaise, here's something so fascinating. Here's something so fascinating. Let's say, so let's say I witness an event. I witness an event, but I, 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 my, I, my memory is not what it used to be. So Rav Huna now comes along. I'm sorry, the, the Raisa says, I could write down the testimony. I could write down the events so that if I'm ever asked to recall it, I could access it, right, from this document, from this document. I will say, now, what's interesting about this is as follows. Take a look at Rashi. Rashi is, Kosev Adam, Emasu Ebedavar, Viyari L'Shochacho, Kosev Al-Chatichas, Klaf Umatsniya. Somebody asked me to witness something. I'm nervous I'm going to forget the details. I can write down the testimony, and therefore, if I'm ever called upon to, to recall it, I have it there. Rashi says, Umeyed, Umeyed, Api Osiksav. So, what's the novelty, Abosai? So, listen to this. Am Ravuna, Bahusha Zochra Meatzmo. Ravuna says, but it has to be that at least you remember some details on your own. Look at Rashi. Shazochra Meatzmo, Beloriyas Ashtar Niskar Ktsas Meiduso Meilov. Rafuna says it has to be that you remember some of the details on your own. In other words, if you remember nothing, nothing at all, and you're just going to read from a piece of paper, that's not enough. It has to be that you remember some of the details. So Rav Yochanan says, no, even if you don't remember at all, Rashi says, Listen to this. So, interesting, Machlokas. Rav Huna says, Rav Huna says, you could write down stuff, 
but you always have to remember something about the event without looking at the paper, right? Rav Yochanan says, even if you remember nothing, but when you look at the paper, that jogs your memory, you remember a little bit, that's fine. That's fine. But I will say now, what's happening? Look at the rest of that Rashi. Listen to this. So we'll say, so Rabbi Yochanan says, even if you remember nothing without looking at the paper, but once you look at the paper, it jogs your memory. Now you remember more details, that's fine. However, I will say, if you remember nothing about this event, nothing, and all you're doing is reading off a piece of paper, that type of edos does not work. Why not? They both say, this is incredibly important. In halacha, testimony has to be something that is the result of cognitive recall. A, a cognitive recall, you have to remember events. If you don't remember an event and all you're doing is reading off a piece of paper, ultimately, again, that is not testimony. So this is fasting. So look what's happening over here. Ruvain is witnessing something that he knows is important. The type of testimony that he may be asked about years later. So what does he want to do? He wants to write it down. So say the, he can write down the facts as they were. So does that work? Machlokes Rafuna Rabbi Yochanan. Rafuna says, it works, it works. But he's always got to remember something, something, even just some, some fact without accessing the paper. Rabbi Yochanan says, no, even if he remembers nothing. As long as when he accesses the paper, it jogs his memory somewhat. So now he has some level of cognitive recall. That's fine. But even Rav Huna says, if he remembers nothing at all, and all he's doing is reading off the paper, that's not Eidos. Fascinating. So the Gemara says, So learn that from Yochanan something interesting, which is, Listen to this. Therefore, if you have two witnesses who witness something, and one of the guys forgot, one of the guys forgot, so one witness could remind the other witness. I was about to say, so it's interesting, because uh, without this Gemara, I would say one witness reminding the other witness is what? Uh, tampering, right? It's called witness tampering. And right? it's called coaching. You can't do that. To which the Gemara says, no, no, no. What you can do is, if two guys witness the same event together, one could try to coax the memory of the other. And if the, as long as the second one ultimately has cognitive recall on his own, he then remembers, oh, yeah. Now, and I was say, it's my simchol yom, right? You don't remember something. Somebody, somebody kind of throws you like a factoid. And then like, oh yeah, I, I, I remember that. I, I remember that. And then it jogs the memory. That's motor. Quite incredible. But this is, atzmo mai. This is fascinating. What happens, Rashi says, atzmo mai, imbal din atzmo maskira I will say, listen to this. Ruvain lent Shimon a thousand dollars. A lent me a thousand dollars. And Ruvain and Shimon were the witnesses. So now B, contest never happened, never happened. So they come to Beisdin. Reuven and Shimon show up. Reuven says, listen, the truth is, I, I don't remember the details. They both say, could A, the lender, say to Reuven, oh, Reuven, you remember. You remember. Remember, there was this, there was that, there, there. we sat at my house, I sat at my table. So they both say, is essentially the reminding permitted to come from one of the litigants. Right? Or, or, or is, is that permitted? So the Gemara says, listen to this. Chaviva says, yes, even one of the litigants is permitted to go ahead and remind the witnesses. They're both saying, the witness has to have some level of cognitive recall on his own afterwards, but the shayla is, is it permitted for one of the litigants to like dangle the fact in front of the witness in order to go ahead and get him to remember? So Chaviva says, yes. No, no, the litigant can't do it. 
Vilchus and Rabbos say the halacha is atzmo lo, which Rabbos say makes sense, which makes sense because Lamai say again, if you're going to have a situation where again litigants can start quote unquote reminding witnesses as to what has occurred, it kind of throws into Rabbosay also because you know the mind is interesting like that. That sometimes what, the way someone says something also could slant the way that I recall it, which is quite fascinating as well. As much as one witness can remind the other, ultimately, again, litigants cannot go ahead and remind the witnesses. They both say, I'm a days, I'm a days. If he eats listen to this. But if the aid is a Talmud Chacham, Chacham, then ultimately, again, even the litigant could remind the witness. What's the reason? I will say, look at Rashi, top, top line on Rashi. The concern is, in a case where it is one of the litigants who's dangling or who's, who's providing the, 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 the facts to jog my memory, is that the witness may lie, may lie consciously, subconsciously, but if the witness is a term, is a tamtacham, one, we'll say what, one, one of the hallmarks of a true Talmud Chacham is MS, is MS. Talmud Chacham is supposed to be the ambassador of the Ribbonah Shalom. The Ribbonah Shalom signet, right? His signet is MS. And therefore, ultimately, again, the Talmud Chacham also, also, also has to have MS. So if it's a Talmud Chacham and he's the aide, he's not going to say anything that he does not remember on his own. Therefore, even if he is, even if he's quote-unquote reminded by one of the litigants, it does not go ahead and invalidate his testimony. Listen to this case. Ashi, listen to this. One time, Rav Ashi knew testimony on behalf of Rav Kahana, whatever the case was. So Rav Kahana said to Rav Ashi, do you remember the testimony? Right? Do you remember this event that you witnessed for me? So Amr Leilo, Rav Kahana said no. I'm sorry, Ravashi said, no, I, I, don't, I don't remember any details of the testimony. So Rav Kahana says, Balav hachi v'hachi ava. Rav Kahana says, really, you don't remember? This happened, that happened, this event, that event. lo yadana. Ravashi said, look, I'm going to be honest, I just don't remember. I just don't remember. L'sof itgar Ravashi asidlei. Then at the end, Ravashi did remember. He remembered, and he testified on behalf of Rav Kahana. Chazyev Rav Kahana d'chava he saw that Rav Kahana was like surprised. So Rav Kahana was surprised. Then I was saying, why was Rav Kahana surprised? Rav Kahana was surprised because he felt, how could Rav Ashi go ahead and testify? He didn't remember. He told me he didn't remember. So they, Rav, Rav Kahana was concerned that maybe Rav Ashi is only testifying based on what? Based on what? Like the nuggets of information that I, that I, the litigant, fed to him. So Rav Kahana was very surprised. So Rav Ashi, so what happened? So Ravashi says, Do you think I'm testifying based on the information you fed me? I remembered. I remembered. While it might be true that, that your statements may have helped to, to trigger my memories, but the testimony I'm giving here today, at the end of the day, is not based on what you said to me, but rather is based on my own power of recall. Incredible. So I will say, this story is an illustration to the previous halacha, which is as much as we say that halacha the litigants are not permitted to jog the memory of the witnesses. 
if the witness is a Talmud Chacham, then it is permitted, because we assume that a Talmud Chacham is not going to testify to something that he does not have his own thousand percent cognitive clarity on. Another case, Rabbi say, Tanan Hassan, we learn. Fascinating case. Hatelulios hakrovos bein le'ir bein ladera. So we'll say, Telulios. What are Telulios? Look at Rashi. Tilekarkar. We'll say these are mounds of earth. Mounds of earth. Vederach b'nei adam likbar betal mishum de'in b'nei adam matim in aderach lavar alav. V'yavadach, supposed to listen to this. Interesting case. You find mounds of dirt. And I will say, what's the concern when you find mounds of dirt? What's the concern? Grave. A grave. So watch this. Hatelulios hakrovos. You'll see why this Gemara is here in just a moment. Hatelulios hakrovos. So say if you have mounds of dirt that are close, either to the city or to the road, whether they are new or whether they are old, ultimately, again, they're Tame. They're Tame. When we say Tame, we assume that there's a body there. Look at Rashi. This is very interesting. Listen to this. This is the first halacha. If you have mounds of dirt that are close to the city or close to the road, whether they're new or whether they're old, they're tame. Then I both say, now what's the pshat? If they're old, let's work backwards. If they're now because they're karov, well, well, if they're old, could be there's a grave, somebody forgot about it. Even if they're new, they're still going to be tummy, right? Why? I will say now, generally, you would think, well, if they're new, if somebody was buried there, we'd know about it. We'd know about it. What's the concern? Sometimes when Rahman al has a miscarriage, and I will say the halacha is, by miscarriage, you have to bury the fetus. So sometimes what a woman will do is, that we don't make a levaya, we don't make a, generally don't make a levaya, for, there's not a levaya for a fetus. So what happens? Again, the mother would take the fetus and would bury it. But as we'll say, sometimes we'll see that she would not venture off far. She would bury it close by. We'll discuss the circumstances of that. So therefore, again, if the mound of earth is close to the road or close to the city, we assume that there's a body there and therefore it's tameh. What if the mound is further away? Again, we'll discuss what rachok means as well. If it's a new mound, then it's tar. If it's an old mound, it's tameh. So I said the Gemara, Ezekrova, 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 what's close? What's close? The Gemara says, Hamishim Amma, 50 Amas is close, right? Ve'ezehi Yishana, what's old? What's old? Shishim Shana, 60 years. 60 years, not that 60 is old, right? For grave purposes, right? For grave purposes, that's called old. Div Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Yudom Rabbi Yudom says, Krova, Shein Krova Hemeno. Close means there's nothing closer, right? This is the closest grave. Yeshana Shein Adam Zohra. Old means no one remembers it. So the Gemara says, let's analyze this. My ear my derech. What does it mean? What's a city and what's the derech? Ilay my ear, ear mamish. If we say that city literally means the city and derech, derech mamish, nesveka mi mechaskin on toma. If we just say that city means a city and derech means a derech, out of Suffolk, we're going to make Eretz Yisrael Tameh? Or is it just going to decree that every mound of earth that complies with certain criteria is Tameh? Fam Reish Lakish, Reish Lakish said, Ila Matzu Bataros Eretz Yisrael. Rebels say in general, Halacha we are very reticent to ever declare Eretz Yisrael Tameh. The earth of Eretz Yisrael Tameh, Ila means an excuse. And when we have to find an excuse or a halachic loophole to go ahead and say that Eretz Yisrael is not Tameh, we do so. So we're not just going to go ahead and just randomly declare mounds of earth tummy in Eretz Yisrael. 
Ir means a city that is close to the cemetery. V'derech, derech beis And the road means the road to the cemetery. So here we go. Bishlama, I understand why if you find uh, a, a mound of earth on the road to the cemetery, because sometimes it's late on Erev Shabbos, you have to do a levaya. there's not time to go all the way to the cemetery, so what do they do? They bury on the road to the cemetery. So I understand why such a mound would be Tomei. But a city that's ultimately, again, next to the Beis HaKvaros, Ultimately, everybody just goes to the cemetery. So the Gemara says, Amrabi So we'll say, no, no, we spoke about this before. Sometimes, if a woman, Rahman miscarries, they would bury the fetus not necessarily in the formal cemetery, but rather somewhere out, somewhere out, right outside of the city. Especially if a woman is going by herself to bury the fetus unaccompanied, she'd bury it close by. Lepers whose limbs sometimes, so I will say, no, the haloch is you have to bury limbs also. A person loses a limb, has a limb amputated, there's an obligation to go ahead and bury that limb as well. Sometimes people would bury their limbs close by as well. So, so so I will say, up until 50 amos from this city, a woman would go by herself to bury the fetus. Any further than that, she would go with her husband, and once she's going with her husband, she would already go to where? Ultimately, again, to the cemetery. And so the Gemara says, If you have a tell, if you have a mound that's more than 50 amas in Eretz Yisrael, you will not go ahead and establish it as Tomei. And Rabbi say, why is this important for us? Full loop around with this will conclude. Remember again, how do we begin our last sugya? I know testimony, and I'm afraid that what? I'm afraid that what? I'm going to forget the testimony. So you already discussed about writing down testimony. Can you go ahead and recall testimony from writing or not? They both say, the Gemara says something very interesting from here. What's the definition of an old mound? Over here, the definition of an old mound? More than 60 years old. So Rav Chista said, you see from here, Rabbi Meir, that in general, people don't remember testimony for more than 60 years. They don't remember the testimony for more than 60 years. So the Gemara says, so that's from this Gemara, to which the Gemara says, no, 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 that's not true. That's not true. Velohi, hasam hu dilo ramya aleh, aval hacha, kevan de ramya aleh afilo tubanami. I will say that's not true. When do people forget information? When they were never entrusted with having to remember it to begin with. So I will say, if there's, if there's a mound, if there's a mound, no one was specifically tasked with remembering the identity of that mound. So therefore, alacha lamaisa, that is forgotten. But when people are tasked with remembering something, then by definition, even after long periods of time, they still remember. Abosai, what a profound Gemara for us to learn during Ben Amitzarim, during the three weeks. Because Abosai, we remember things from a couple of years ago, from a couple of days ago, and from thousands of years ago. Why? Because we are tasked with remembering. Because a Yid has to remember the tragedies of the past because it's only Hazorim Bedima Berina Yiktsoru. Only if we sow the present with the, with the tears of the past are we Zochamir Hashem to reap the incredible saplings of Geula. When you're tasked to remember, you could remember things for thousands of years. When it's Lorami Alei Inish, when you have no obligation to remember, then things could be easily forgotten. I don't say Shkayach.